Hey, we're so glad you decided to join us on YouTube. You're about to hear a message from our teaching team. We hope this message helps equip you for freedom and to find purpose in your everyday life. We stream our online services every Sunday. You can visit us at freedomhouse.cc live to connect with us and become part of our online campus. We know that you're gonna enjoy this message you're about to watch. Well, hello, church. How awesome is it that we get to come on Saturday night and worship the Lord Saturdays with a little extra? Well, hey, we got a lot extra tonight. I'm pretty excited because one of the teaching team members, he's actually our newest teaching team member, uh, is going to be speaking tonight, and we are super excited. Many of you uh, might not even know who he is. He actually attends our South End campus. And he and his wife have been there from the very beginning. Uh, his name is Michael Holt. His wife's name is Rachel. And here's the cool thing. The cool thing is when I first met the two of them, had no idea who they were, anything. I just came up and introduced myself. Some of the most humble, kind, sweet, and genuine people you have ever met on the planet. But what I found out later was super cool because I love to brag on my friends, especially those who are super humble and kind like he is. Uh, I had no idea until my kids told me like who he was. They're like, mom, that's molt. And I was like, who's molt? And they're like, mom, YouTube, do you not watch YouTube? And I'm, you know, unfortunately I'm, I'm working on being cool and hip. They, they help me with these things, right? Um, Michael and Rachel are people that I look to to help me. I just figure out what they're wearing and I just duplicate it so I can be cool too. But uh, Michael is somebody who is on YouTube and he has a platform of millions. But the thing that I love about him is he always uses his platform for good. He always uses his platform to love and honor and to serve people. And so you're gonna get to hear from him tonight. So would you do me a favor, Freedom House? Would you jump up on your feet and give it up for the one and only Michael Holt? Hello, hello. As she said, um, my name is Michael Holt. And, um, sorry, let me, technology, man, goodness gracious. All right, um, as she said, my name is Michael Holt, and um, my wife, my beautiful wife, is right here in the front. Um, and we attend the South End campus. Um, we have a picture of us as well, just so you guys can see. Um, us and, where's that picture at? Huh? Oh, there it is. So that's my wife and I and our two kids. Um, they are children. I know they might look a little different than some of your children, but those are our children, and we love them very much. So that is uh, my wife and I. Um, and just to uh, kind of make things clear for y'all, like Penny said, this is my first sermon. I've never preached before um, or anything like that, so I feel very blessed and honored to be up here on this stage. Um, Pastor Penny and Troy have done an amazing job of just loving people and pushing them in their gifts, um, and I'm so grateful for pastors like that who um, step out of the spotlight that is so easy to stay in, and they allow others to come in there um, and preach the word that the Lord um, has given them. So I'm so grateful uh, for that. I, I genuinely am very honored to be up here on this platform. Um, as you guys saw in the intro, the series that we're in is Camouflage, um, and it is all about spiritual warfare, and it is about the things that are going on around us that we can't see, that we experience on a daily basis. Um, so this whole thing is on spiritual warfare. Let's go ahead and start off uh, with a very, very important question. 
How many of you watch Netflix? Can I see a show of hands? Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, whatever it may be. I'm sure that many of us have a little bit of a problem with it. I know myself uh, probably spends a little bit of too time, a little bit too much time in front of the television. Um, but I think if you take a second, you can think about a show that has impacted you in your life. One of those shows for me uh, is Samurai Jack. My dad and I used to always watch that together. So if you know what it is, it's an old cartoon. Absolutely love it. Um, but another one is from college, and it was Lost. So when people would say, what's one of your favorite series? I would always say Lost. It's amazing. You need to watch it. Um, but for my wife and I, that series is Parenthood. Um, it's more of a girly show. She pulled me into it. But if I'm honest, I have a couple tears in my eyes every single episode. So Parenthood is a series that follows around a multi-generational family. You have the grandparents, and you have their children, and then you have their grandchildren. And my favorite character in the show is named Max. And this is a little bit of a spoiler, so I'm sorry. But they find out, um, as the show begins, that their son has autism. And you get to follow them through the journey of learning how to love and, and push their son to be who he was created to be. They let him know that there's nothing wrong with him, but just that he's going to have difficulties in life. He's going to have difficulties learning and difficulties interacting with people. And so he's one of my favorite characters by far. He's hilarious. He cracks me up. Um, and one of my favorite moments with him was he was at his grandparents' house, and he had just recently fallen in love with photography, which is awesome because for someone who's autistic, he's able to hide behind the camera lens and interact with people a little bit better. So it's cool to see him be able to do that. But he's fallen in love with photography. He's outside of his grandparents' house, and he's taking pictures. And he sees his cousin Amber and her boyfriend out in the car, and they're kissing, okay? Max runs over to the car and starts taking pictures. And they're like, Max, what are you doing? Like, you can't take pictures of us. This is inappropriate. What are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm sorry. I saw you guys wrestling over here and wanted to come and take pictures. He saw them kissing and thought that they were wrestling. And I took a step back and realized that there are different ways that we can identify situations in our life. We have an opportunity to rename situations that we go through in our life. They may appear one way, but in reality, they are something different. And that's the main thing that I'm going to talk about today as we go through this. It's a little saying because it's a little easier to remember, but it's rename the pain. Today, I want you all to know that you have the power to rename the pain. You have the power to rename the situations in your life that you go through. Does it make them any less hard? Does it make them any less real? No. But you do have the opportunity to rename the pain in your life. Have you ever felt like the world is against you? Your kids are misbehaving. They're not getting good grades. That was me, if I'm honest. Uh, you're struggling at work. Your boss is a jerk and just doesn't appreciate everything that you do. Um, your relationship with your spouse is struggling. You're fighting over the dumbest things. You just feel like nothing is, is going your way. You're trying to catch a breath, and you're like, what is going on? Why is the whole world against me? Well, it is. There is a war going on. There is good fighting for you and bad fighting for you. Just like you've seen in those cartoons, you have a little white angel right here, and you have the little red devil on your shoulder. Obviously, that's uh, not how it really is, but we all know that there is good and bad fighting for us. In Ephesians 6, chapter 12, it says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This enemy is crafty. He's brilliant. 
and he doesn't want us to succeed. He wants us to think that what we're doing is right. Don't you, you feel comfortable when you think that you're doing something right? There, there, there's no conviction or anything. You feel like you're doing something right, and that's what the enemy wants you to think. Let's say that you're a father who um, wants to provide for your family. You've always dreamed of the American dream. You have kids. You want to provide for them. You want, you want to be able to take your wife out to nice dinners. You want to take her overseas. You want to go on all these trips with her. You want your kids to be able to play all of the sports. And let's be honest, from what I've heard, all of the gear is very expensive. You want to be able to provide for your family. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to work extra hard. I'm going to go into work. I'm going to work just like God tells me to do. He designed us to be workers. We see that with Adam in the garden. We are designed to be workers, but that can be twisted very easily. So you go in and you begin working hard again to provide for your family. It starts off with you going in an hour early and then leaving an hour late, going in an hour early, leaving an hour late, which slowly leads to, oh my gosh, there's an opportunity for me to get a promotion at work that could provide so much for my family. Finally, you get the promotion but now you're not spending as much time with your family. And that promotion brings more money, but it brings more travel. So something that started off as good that you desired to provide for your family is now doing the exact opposite. It's taking you away. It's doing the opposite of providing because you're no longer in the picture. Yes, you can give them nice things. You can take them to dinners whenever you get off of work, whatever it may be, but now you're no longer in the picture. The enemy wants us to think that what we're doing is right because we start off doing something right. We start off doing something good. But if we're not careful and we don't pay attention, we'll find ourselves in a situation down the road and you're like, what just happened? I don't even know how I got here. Another example, maybe you grew up and your family was, was great friends with your neighbors. Your parents were best friends. You were friends with the brother. Your sister was friends with the sister. And time goes on and now you've all grown up and, and, and you're married and you've gone through things in life as we all have. And the sister reaches out to you and she says, hey, I've been going through this. I know that you went through this. I was wondering if we could talk. You're like, yeah, of course. I mean, the Lord allowed me to go through that so that I could help you in that. And what starts off as a conversation of you caring for her eventually leads to you telling her things that you're struggling with and then you beginning to confide in her with problems that you have in your marriage with your wife, and she begins to confide in you with problems that she's having in her relationship with her husband. And something that starts off as simple as loving someone and trying to help them with something that you're going through now down the road, you realize it's a full-blown affair, and you're like, how did I even get here? I was just simply trying to help. Just simply trying to help. The enemy wants us to think that what we're doing is right. There's a book out in the lobby. It's right here, actually. It's written by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Screwtape Letters. I don't read a lot, but I actually read this, so that shows you how good it is. The Screwtape Letters is a story of an uncle named Screwtape who writes to his nephew, Wormwood. Now, it's a little bit different than that because this is unworldly. These are the evil spirits that we heard about in Ephesians. It is the uncle teaching his nephew how to tempt humans. It is the uncle teaching his nephew how to draw us away from the light. Screwtape says to his nephew, he says, it doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. He's talking about gambling there. He's saying, why would I have someone murder someone if I can give them a gambling addiction and it accomplishes the exact same thing? 
He goes on to say, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without turning, without milestones, and without signposts. The enemy wants us to think that the size of our sin matters. He wants us to think that the size of our sin matters. If we're all honest with ourselves, which I'm going to be right now, I know that we live in an era of comparison. And we all have something that we want to compare others with. Yes, I do have this thing that I struggle with, but it's not as bad as that guy. I might be a little worse than this person, but what I have with me isn't as bad as them, so I'm fine. He wants us to think that the size of our sin matters when in reality, it doesn't. If he can use something small to draw you away from the light, why would he use something big? If he can make you hate your brother, why would he make you murder him? If he can make you, if he doesn't have to make you have an affair, he can just make you lust. Like there are so many different options that he can use to draw you away from the light. There is a battle going on for our souls. And it's so, I, I don't believe in coincidences. That's just me. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't think that they're a real thing. There is good and there, in, and there is evil fighting for us. A coincidence is one of those winning. So whenever the light wins, whenever the light wins that little battle in your life, you might say, oh, that was just a coincidence that something good happened. Eh, I've seen too many coincidences to believe that that's true. I've seen too many coincidences to believe that that is true. Our enemy that I've been talking about, he's brilliant, he is smart, he is patient. In 1 Peter 5, 18, it says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. What do you think about when you think of lions? Do you think about the Wizard of Oz and him going, Rah! and chasing around Toto? For me, that's not what I think about, but I thought it was funny. For me, I think about how terrifying the king of the jungle is. I think about how strong he is. I think about his confidence. Whenever you watch those shows on nature or whatever, they're standing there and they just look confident. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, it's terrifying. Their confidence is terrifying to me. So I did a little bit of research on lions and how they hunt and how they capture their enemy. If he's comparing him to a lion, then we need to know how a lion captures his enemy. So I did some research, and lions are actually pretty slow. They're oftentimes slower than their prey. They're not like cheetahs or jaguars who can just be like, oh, there's something up there, I'm going to go catch up with it. Lions have to be a little bit more strategic. One of the ways that lions hunt is they move from cover to cover to cover to cover until they're close enough and you didn't even realize that they were there. In other words, they move from something that appears safe to something that appears safe, to something that appears harmless, to something that appears harmless, until you're in a place where you're like, how did the enemy get so close to me? I thought that those things were safe. The enemy uses our needs to capture us. We need safety in this day and age. He uses our needs and our desires to capture us. If we think that something is harmless, we're going to be less likely to stay away from it. If you think that a simple text with someone of the opposite sex who isn't your spouse is harmless, then you're not going to stay away from it and you're not going to know what's happening. If you're not aware that 
constantly staying late at work, and yeah, you're working for your family, whatever it may be, as you're doing that, you're, you, you view that as harmless, you're gonna realize down the road that you've missed out on so much. We need to be careful knowing how the enemy moves from cover to cover. Like I said earlier, it can start off with a simple conversation. Let's say that you're at work and you're heating up your Hot Pocket in the microwave. There's only two seats left in the lunchroom, wherever, I work from home, so I don't know about that. There's only two seats left, you go and sit down, and this girl comes and sits next to you. She's from accounting, so you've never seen her before. And she's kind of cute, and she has good hair, whatever. Um, and you guys start talking, and it's something very, very harmless, and then you go on about your day. But you find yourself the next day being like, ooh, I wonder, I wonder if she'll be in there. And I wonder if we can sit next to each other again. I wonder if that'll happen. Eh, who knows? And then eventually, it starts to where you're planning to have lunch with this person. And then you're planning to do these things. Something that started off as an accident that appeared harmless has now taken you down a road that you would have never expected to be in. Another way that lions hunt is they go and hide in areas of something that their prey needs. So they'll go to a watering hole and they're wait. They, they have to win this. This is their food. They're patient. They're patient. They go and wait for their enemy, for their prey to appear next to something that they need. Again, going back to that harmlessness, if they're not moving and they're not showing themselves, it appears safe. One of those things that we need as a church is community. We can't do this alone. We're not meant to do this alone. Adam had Eve. God was like, no, you're not supposed to do this alone. Here's Eve. You need somebody. We need people. And community is one thing here at Freedom House that we pursue hard because we know the significance of it. And the enemy knows how significant that community is, so he waits there. And he tries to manipulate you in your mind to view it as something different than it is. You see somebody with a nice car, and you start to think, seriously, that's unnecessary. Or you're like, I, I mean, I wish I, I wish I could afford nice things. I wish that I could not have to be living paycheck to paycheck. And instead of thinking about the fact that the Lord has blessed them in one way and that he uses them to bless others, through their financial benefit, they're able to grow and put into the church. Some people are blessed with time. Some people are blessed relationally. Some people are blessed financially. But it's so easy for us to look at that and say, but that's not fair. I, I want that. Or you've been waiting and praying for a promotion for years. Praying for it all the time in your life groups. And... Someone shows up, and at the end, as, as you're doing prayer requests, she says, oh, um, I, I really want this promotion at work. And you're like, oh, cool, we share that. That's awesome. Like, I'll be praying for you. The next week, she comes, and we're at the beginning of, of our group, and you say, what good has happened this week? Anything to, to praise God for? And she's like, yeah, I got my promotion. But I, I, I didn't get my promotion, is there, is there something wrong with me? Am, am, I, am I not smart enough? Am I not good enough? Am I not called to be in this position? And instead of celebrating the fact that that person is going to move up in leadership and be able to affect the leaders of the business, 
with the word of God and be able to love them well, you find yourself getting caught up just complaining and comparing about the fact that you didn't get a promotion when that isn't the plan that God has for you right now. Another way, um, another thing that we need that he can use is very specific relationships, dating relationships, intimate relationships. He can use the past to prevent present growth and sabotage that same present. He can use the past and bring it into the present. For me, very realistically with my wife, Rachel, the enemy makes me distrust her. She's never done anything to make me question her trust. Now, my exes and the people I've been in in the past where I've been betrayed and where I felt like I wasn't enough and where I felt like something was wrong with me, those people that questioned my trust, yeah, I needed to question their trust. And the enemy knows that and he makes me bring it into my present relationship to prevent the growth there. He knows that I need this relationship with my bride that God designed, and so he says, uh-uh, I'm gonna make you question who she's texting when there's no need to. Like, I trust her and I love her, and she literally has never done anything to question that, but the enemy brings that into my present from the past. It's my choice to rename that pain from the past, the hurt, the betrayal. It's my choice to rename that, grow from it, and love my wife well so that we can love others well. We have to learn how to fight and defend ourselves in this war because it is a real one. One thing that uh, I loved about the interaction with Max was that he saw something that was intimate as wrestling. He saw something that was intimate as wrestling. And I think that many of us need to do that with something that we see intimate, which is prayer. We need to approach prayer in the form of a fight. It's so easy for us to go into prayer and say, it's raining outside. God, please don't let it rain outside. Please don't let Bob from accounting annoy me today. I've had enough. I don't want to deal with that. And if there's traffic on the way, so help me. <laughs> Instead of going into it saying, Lord, this is the day that you have made. Grow me and help me love Bob, Lord. Bob doesn't know what he's doing. Help me love Bob and through the way that I love him, help him grow and come to meet you through that, Lord, use me in my workplace to be a light for you. Instead of complaining, we need to view something that is passionate because it is passionate, but we need to view it as a fight as well. We need to fight in our prayers with God. Intimacy is a fight. In Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 through 29, we meet uh, Jacob, and uh, he's at a camp all alone. It says, um, this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip socket and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed him there. One thing that I love about that is that they just keep asking each other what their names are. He says, what is your name? What do you go by? What, what do they call you? What do they call you? Do they call you a liar? Do they call you a cheat? 
Do they call you arrogant or thief? Do people tell you that you're not enough and that you're not good enough? Because for Jacob, his name meant that he was manipulative and shysty and sneaky. But God said, no, 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 that is not you. My creation, that is not you. You have wrestled with me and you have won, so I will change your name to Israel. For us, we need to rename ourselves in the same manner that God renamed Jacob. What would God rename us as? Loved. Child, son, daughter, valuable, new. There's so many other names that we can choose to view. We say, okay, the world might call me this. The world might identify me by these mistakes, but that's not how my God identifies me. You can be insecure in the things that the world calls you. You can be told that you're not enough by people who care about you, but that is not what God says about you. We, need to, we know that the enemy wants us to be insecure in who we are. Another thing that we see happen here is Jacob leaves with a limp. And while we go through things in our lives and they come with us, we don't have to let them define us. The things that we go through in life come with us, but we don't have to let them define us. Jacob has a choice to look at this wrestling situation and say, this is the moment where my hip was wrenched out of its socket. Now it takes me twice as long to get everywhere. One of my shoes is all messed up because I'm dragging it. Or he can view this as a time where he wrestled with God and it was painful, but now he is blessed. He has the opportunity to view the situation and say, do I want to look at that and say, that is when I was forever affected negatively in my hip? Or do I want to view that as a time when I wrestled with God and he told me that I was blessed? We have a choice to rename that pain that we're going through. Before this um, wrestling match, we find Jacob with Laban. I'll give you a little bit of a very quick history lesson. Um, so Jacob had a brother named Esau who was very hairy and liked to hunt. Jacob liked to hang out in the kitchen with his mom, so they didn't really get along too much. It led to Jacob manipulating his brother and stealing something, and then Jacob was terrified and had to run because Esau was a lot bigger than him. Jacob goes to his uncle Laban's house, and he sees Rachel. I remember the first time I saw my Rachel. <laughs> but for Jacob, he saw Rachel, and he was like, I have got to have her. What's it going to take for her to be my wife? Laban says, seven years of work. I, Rachel and I are about to be at our one-year anniversary, y'all. So seven years of work, whew, that's a lot. He tells him, you got to work seven years for her. So he does it. And then somehow he gets tricked into marrying uh, Rachel's sister, Leah. I don't know how you get tricked into marrying somebody else, but he does. And then he has to work another seven years. So he works 14 years for Rachel. There goes on to be some problems with livestock with his uncle Laban. He has to run away from him. And we find ourselves here in Genesis chapter 31 where they have met up and they're talking after all of this heavy, tough stuff that they have been through. He says, so come, let's make a covenant, you and I, and it will be a witness to our commitment. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a monument. Then he told his family members, gather some stones. So they gathered stones and piled them in a heap. Then Jacob and Laban sat down beside the pile of stones to eat a covenant meal. To commemorate the event, Laban named the place Yagar Sahadutha, which means witness pile in Aramaic. And Jacob called it Galid, which means witness pile in Hebrew. Then Laban declares, this pile of stones will stand as a witness to remind us of the covenant that we have made today. 
they used a heap of heavy stones to make a treaty. They had been through a lot of stuff together in their lives. They had been through a lot of heavy stuff, and they used a pile of heavy stones to have a treaty. And I think that many of us, in fact, all of us today need to make a treaty with our stones. We need to acknowledge them. We need to pile these heavy things up that have hurt us in our lives. They're real. I'm not taking away from that. They're real, but we can't let them come with us into the rest of our lives and keep us from what God has planned. So we need to pile them up. We need to make a treaty with our stones and we need to turn and go the other way. We need to be able to rename that pain and move on just as we see Jacob do. They pile it up, they acknowledge it, and they leave. As I told you earlier, Jacob um, worked for Rachel for 14 years, which is pretty crazy. That's half of my life. Um, A couple chapters later, we find Jacob with his pregnant wife, Rachel. My wife, Rachel, is not pregnant, just to let you know. But in Genesis chapter 35, 17 through 18, it says, After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid, you have another son. Rachel was about to die. But with her last breath, she named the baby Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Jacob is standing in, his, in front of his now deceased wife that he loved so much, that he worked 14 years for. He's standing in front of her, and he takes that child that killed her, the child caused her to die, and he says, I'm not going to name this or keep this child's name Ben-Oni because it's not a sorrowful thing that this child was born. I'm going to rename him to son of my right hand. In the Bible, the right hand signifies honor and glory and, and blessing. Are you you serious? How does he pick up this child who just took his wife's life and say, I am choosing to name this a blessing. I am choosing to name this a blessing. The enemy knew that Rachel would connect with her pain. He knew that she would name the child Ben-Oni. Honestly, I think any of us would. I don't know if I could look at my wife who had just died from a kid And instantly be like, nope, God is in this. That is a blessing. I don't know how I would do that. But Jacob chose to rename that pain. He doesn't allow the pain in his head to control him. I think we all find ourselves in our heads too much. And we're like, what is going on up here? Like, this is not me. It's a battle inside of our heads. And so it's so easy for us to say, no, no, no. The enemy's tempting me. He's putting things in my head. That's just how it is. But there's another quote from the screw tape letters. Again, this is the Uncle Screw Tape talking to his nephew Wormwood, and he says, It's funny how mortals picture us as putting things into their minds when in reality our best work is done by keeping things out. Their best work is done by keeping things out. Our human nature, if we're honest, is a negative one. My default is impatience. My default is anger. If I'm in traffic, there's no positive bone in my body. It is very easy for me to be negative. It's easy for our default to be negative. And we see Rachel name her son Ben-Oni because that's her default. I'm pretty sure that all of us would do that. But Jacob fought it. Jacob fought that battle in his mind and chose to know that the enemy is trying to keep God out of his 
of his mind. Because again, it's easy for us to be negative. So Jacob chooses to fight that and names his child Benjamin, son of my blessing. They go on to bury Rachel in Genesis 35, verse 20 through 21. says, and Jacob sets up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. Jacob set up a pillar, but Israel moved on. Jacob buried the past, buried this pain, and moved on a new person. Jacob was here in the past dealing with all of this pain, but Israel moved on. We need to do the same thing. We need to bury our pasts just as Jacob did. All of us are Jacob. We need to bury the things that we've been through. We need to acknowledge them and the effects that they've had on our lives because a lot of them were very hurtful and painful and they were real, but we need to acknowledge them. We need to bury them and we need to move on into the future that God has planned for us. If everyone could stand with me, please. The main thing that I want you, there's a couple of main things I want you to leave with today. Is that this, this fight, this war that we're going through is so mental. It's so much in our head. We need to understand that human nature is a negative one and that it's easy for us to default to that negative. But it's our choice how we identify it. The enemy wants us to think that what we're doing is right, but if we aren't careful, we will find out that something that started off as good will end up being so, so bad. And we need to rename our pain. I know it's cliche and it rhymes, whatever, but that's something that you can hold on to as you leave here. You, I know that many of you have images in your head of the things that you've gone through that have been very serious and that have changed the trajectory of your life. You have the power with God to rename that. You have the power to change that view and look at it from a different perspective, understanding the pain that it caused was real, but also understanding that you can rename it. And we all need to make a treaty with our stones. I want all of you to think now of heavy things that you've been through. For me, most of the hurt in my life has been relational. And that's why it makes it difficult sometimes for me to trust my spouse because of the heavy things that I've been through in the past. They're real, and many of you have been through things that are very similar or even worse. We need to acknowledge those, and we need to make a treaty with our stones. We need to make a treaty with our stones. Pray with me, if you will. Lord, thank you for changing our name. Lord, thank you for not identifying us as the world sees us. Lord, but thank you for identifying us as your child, as someone that you love, who you planned out perfectly. We're unique. No one's like us. We don't wanna be like anyone else. Lord, remove comparison from our hearts. There's no need for it. We are all our individual selves that you perfectly and purely designed for your glory, Lord. Remove that heart of comparison. With all eyes closed, I want you to think about the things that you've been through, the heavy things that you've been through. Acknowledge them, acknowledge the pain. Don't keep it inside, that's not where it belongs. 
Don't keep the hurt inside. If you've gone through things that have broken you and put you on that path of of asking the question, is the world against me? Why is all of this happening? If you've been through that and you have those heavy things that you want the Lord to rescue you of as you wrestle in prayer with him, If that's you, can you raise your hand and just acknowledge the fact that you have heavy things in your life that you want the Lord to remove. Lord, you see these hands. Thank you for these hands, Lord. You see these hands. Remove these weights, Lord. Remove these heavy things. I pray that they can make a treaty with these stones, with this heavy pain. Lord, I pray that they make that treaty and they leave this place a new person. If you don't personally have a relationship with the Lord and after hearing who he calls you, after hearing that he loves you, after hearing that he can rescue you and help you rename this pain. If you want a relationship with the Lord today and you want to start this journey, this amazing journey with him, would you raise your hand for me? I see those hands. And if everyone would repeat after me, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for naming me son or daughter. Lord, I pray today that I leave these heavy stones here in this room, make a treaty, and move on. Lord, I need you. I am helpless without you. From here on out, Lord, my heart is yours. My life is yours. Lead me into the light and away from the darkness. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and join us for online services. If you'd like to learn more about Freedom House or how you can become part of our church, visit our website at freedomhouse.cc.